Hi, everyone. Welcome to Semester 5, Episode 11 of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admissions give expert insight into the higher ed landscape. I'm Endika. I'm a graduate admissions counselor at Ivy Wise and former associate director of admissions at Georgetown's Walsh School of Foreign Service and McCurt School of Public Policy. And joining me today are my friends and fellow Ivy Wise counselors, Nellie and Kendra. Nellie is a former associate director of admissions at the Wharton School at UPenn, and Kendra is a former assistant dean of academic and student affairs at Northeastern School of Law and academic advisor at Northeastern University. In this episode, we're going to share some insight on what college students can do to prepare for graduate school or the workforce. So I thought we could start with that core question. And Nelly, um, I know you wanted to share some insights on what if somebody came to you and said they wanted to go to graduate school or wanted to do a career search, what would be the conversation you would have with them? Perfect. Thank you so much, Indica. And I'm so happy to be chatting with you ladies today, my fellow grad counselors. Um, I don't think we've had a chance to all be together in the same room. So this is pretty exciting for me. Um, I think if an undergraduate student were coming to me to seek advice on how to prepare for graduate school, my first question to them would be, why? Why are you thinking about going to graduate school, right? What are you looking to achieve in terms of your future career goals? Are you thinking about, um, you know, doing research, teaching? Are you looking to try to go more lean towards business or law, right? What are the types of careers that are you're interested in pursuing? And then from there, starting to think backwards about how we can, you know, taking those career paths into consideration, what sort of academic pathway is going to help you get to those career, those career goals. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to add, it's very important to know your why and why you want to do this. I've seen in my career so many students say, well, I just want to go to graduate school because I don't know what I want to do with my life and they're trying to bide their time. And that's not a good reason to go to graduate school. Um, You really want to go in with a clear purpose, a clear goal and a clear vision for what your life would look like during and after grad school. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, <laughs> I was gonna say, I agree oh, no, that no. reflection piece is so important. Yeah, and I was, um, you know, as I talk to graduate students or applicants about why they're going to graduate school, they often, you know, talk about career goals. They talk about what they'd like to do with jobs and their, you know, long-term plans. And all of that has a lot of overlap with, um, you know, career planning as well. And so I think, you know, when you're talking about graduate school or entering the workforce, there is a lot of overlap between those goals, especially in the early years of an undergraduate experience. Yeah, I think for me, um, it starts with the, the the academic piece, right? So like if we're thinking backwards, and I'll just take MBA, for example, right? Um, if you're thinking about going to business school, as soon as you get to campus, I would have you, and maybe I would even say more generally, it doesn't really even matter if it's business school, law school, whatever program you're thinking about, right? When you first step onto campus, one of my biggest pieces of advice is go seek out an academic advisor, right? Because that is going to start the core of your academic journey um, in terms of like your foundational courses. And then as you progress throughout your career, your your more kind of niche academic courses or your more like focused classwork. And so I think 
academic advising is such an underutilized resource on campus. And as a former academic advisor, I can attest to it. I think that the earlier that you can try to make a connection with someone on campus who can help walk you through that process to start to identify classes that may double count for different majors, right? To kind of even give you a broad outline of potential career paths. Maybe you don't even know like what med school or law school or business school entails. And so how the an academic advisor can kind of help guide you on those different pathways that might be appropriate based on your interests and things that you want to start to explore. Absolutely. I would say think of an academic advisor as a quote unquote information air traffic controller. (laughs) If they don't know the answer to something, they have the resources and the institutional knowledge to direct you into the right office of someone who does. And so academic advising can be a first place where you start to really build your network and get introduced to the right people, whether that's faculty, other advisors, alum, Um, they're just such an invaluable resource and highly underutilized. You're absolutely right, Nellie. And it kind of varies by school because some schools will assign students an academic advisor, but they're very general. So they're not going to be able to answer those department specific, major specific questions. So I think knowing the landscape of what's available in academic advising is really important. Is it somebody through the career center? Is it somebody you were assigned to, you know, as part of your orientation? Is it somebody who's in the department you plan on majoring? And so I think, you know, differentiating between who these advisors are and actually you know, going to lots of different academic advisors is a great way to, you know, gather information and really determine what you want to do. A lot of departments have peer advisors, which I think um, is a really great addition because students have the best intel on, you know, what classes are really great, which professors are really great. So I think, you know, looking to both staff academic advisors, faculty advisors, and also fellow students who are in these sort of peer advisor roles or maybe are upperclassmen who've taken more advanced courses um, can really help you kind of learn the lay of the land and, and pick those really great courses you want to take. Yeah, I was going to say, jumping into my own experience, looking back, I went to a large R1 research university, um, and I remember, I may be dating myself here a little bit, but I remember sitting in a large lecture hall and, like, filling out a piece of paper and choosing my classes, like, as an incoming freshman of what I was going to be taking. So I just kind of had done what I had previously, you know, thought high school, kind of replicated the high school curriculum, like, took a science, took a math, took a whatever, foreign language. But it didn't really apply, right? I took a, yeah, it fit some of my core requirements that I needed to get out of the way, but it really wasn't kind of strategically thinking about what was going to benefit me in terms of my career goals. Um, And, or even things that I had personally wanted to explore at the undergrad level, right? Kind of what I wanted to be exposed to, whether it was psychology, political science, whether it's business or, or more, you know, STEM related courses. So I think that even from as a freshman, kind of taking that t- step of reflection and and thinking about, you know, what what you enjoy as a discipline. Do you like to write? Do you like to <laughs> read more? Right. I mean, I think some some courses are more heavy in those aspects. And so thinking about what your own strengths and weaknesses are can help kind of guide you um, and skills that you're wanting to develop can help guide you in that academic planning process. I would also just add that finding your strengths and playing to them usually lends itself to a higher GPA. We tend to throw ourselves into classes that we're excited about and we're interested in. And higher GPAs, of course, lend themselves to much better outcomes when applying to graduate school. Just like when you apply to undergrad, your GPA will certainly matter when you apply to 
graduate school, as will potentially an entrance exam. So you may have had to take the SAT or the ACT to get into undergrad. Testing doesn't necessarily go away, even in the world of test optional. Um, at graduate school level, you may find yourself taking the GMAT for business, the LSAT for law school, the MCAT for medical school, the GRE for graduate school. The DAT for dental school, they go on and on. There are tests for every graduate program. And so making sure that as you're working with advisors and resources on campus, you're playing to your strengths, you're keeping your GPA high, and you're also honing and practicing those test-taking skills. Don't shy away from test-taking skills because those tests don't necessarily go away. Um, and if, if, if you do fall into that category of, of you're exploring, you know, your freshman year and taking a lot of different classes and maybe you have a lower GPA during your freshman year, don't, that does not mean that you cannot apply to graduate school or you cannot get the job that you want. Um, schools are also looking for, you know, an upward trajectory in your grades. It's a very um, reasonable that, you know, you might have been a pre-med major who ended up doing something else entirely. And so, um, you know, focus on, on, on having a high GPA from the start, but if that doesn't happen, it's also a really compelling arc. If you have increasingly good grades as you find your strengths. So you, mm -hmm. it might not happen your first year and that is also okay. Another thing that graduate schools are looking for and employers are looking for is work experience. So in addition to having potentially a comeback story or a really strong GPA, they are going to look at your resume. They're going to see what were you engaged in? How were you spending your time during college and during the summer breaks? Um, and so one of the things that you should be doing in addition to connecting with your academic advisor is really making sure that you connect with the career services office, find those internships, find those experiential learning opportunities. Don't shy away from clubs and organizations where you can really explore your passions and develop a resume that tells a story that you're interested in blank and this is why and this is what you've done in that area. So career services and the career center is another resource that I can't stress enough. You don't need to wait until you're looking for a job as a senior to go there. You should really start building that relationship early and consistently. Absolutely a mistake I made. When I was in college, I did not go to the career center till I was a senior. And that was um, that was just a really poor use of a great resource. So I agree. And I will also share another uh, personal antidote here. I also did not go to the career center. Um, but I um, I guess through just, you know, uh, being involved in extracurriculars on campus, I was able to land a internship through some of my connections. So, um, for example, I had joined a sorority, you know, there had happened to be an event, I was connecting with some alum at this particular sorority event, um, and was able to get a job just through that kind of uh, alumni connection and networking and involvement in extracurriculars, right? And so this you know, particular sorority wasn't directly business related or wasn't exactly related to the internship I had, but it was it was about that network and that personal connection that I was building with alums from my school and within my organization and just kind of, you know, um, getting involved. I think at each school, how successful you, you are and how much you enjoy your experience will is directly related to how much you are involved in that community and what you're bringing to that community and what it's giving back. So not only are we talking about, you know, professional organizations on campus, right, whether it's um, like a future business leaders or, um, you know, a, a, a consulting club or finance club, etc. I think it's about, um, you know, just 
whether it's volunteer-based organizations, whether it's faith identity organization, faith or identity-based organizations, I think those are the types of things that you just want to get out and start to build out your network because you never know who you might meet that could be a potential, you know, fellow <laughs> work colleague or professional colleague. Absolutely. And that network is going to be, you know, as we were saying before, it's academic advisors, it's faculty members, it's students, it's staff members, it's career services. And, you know, these are all people who, as Nellie mentioned, could, you know, be great contacts for future jobs. They can be references for jobs. They can be recommendations for graduate school. They can give you insights into industries. So really building a strong um, campus community is, is, I think, integral to both graduate school and preparing for the workforce. And also, you know, you can you get to know all the cool events that are happening on campus. You might, somebody might invite you to a speaker event that completely changes your career path. So keeping yourself open to, you know, kind of all these new possibilities is just really valuable. I was just going to even jump in too. So just to kind of, again, lean on what Kendra had said and Indica too, about the importance of internships. I think that graduate schools are more and more starting to look for applicants who have at least some sort of, you know, six months to a year of some sort of internship or professional work experience, right? Where they've taken the skills and the, um, that they've learned in the classroom and are now, you know, applying them to real world application. Uh, I think that, so when, and, and it also gives you as an applicant something to talk about in the, in the application process, right? It gives you a story to start to craft and a narrative to tell about your experiences um, and also connects the dots from all of your, you know, your academic journey to your professional journey um, for an admissions committee. So I, you know, it, and it shows your sustained interest and involvement. So I can't stress enough the importance of getting some sort of, you know, uh, work experience, whether that's an internship, whether that's research experience, you know, working in a lab. Um, I think it can vary, but the more that you're able to kind of uh, do real world application, I think can only help you in terms of your graduate admissions process and also for future career um, employment. It's also important because it gives you a chance to try things out. I was originally an American Sign Language interpreting major, and I did an internship at the Commission for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. It was a wonderful experience. But through that, and of course, this is an oversimplification of being an interpreter, I realized I didn't want to repeat what people said for a living, right? And if I hadn't figured that out as a sophomore during my internship, I would have gotten pretty deep into a very niched curriculum um, and it would have just been wrong for me. So sometimes doing these internships can also teach you what works and what doesn't work and learn how to kind of fail successfully and pivot. I was actually just going to say, um, it's interesting you brought that up because it's kind of a counterexample to what I was, to the point I was going to make about the importance of having not just internships and, you know, applied experience, but relevant internships and relevant applied experience, which is not always, you know, as is, as your story um, highlights, which is not always the case. So, you know, what are your thoughts on sort of having internship experiences that kind of span a diff bunch of different um, industries versus having really focused internship experience on your resume and how do you kind of balance that out? Well, I know for me, I was able to at least build out the transferable skills because I wasn't just signing. I was working with people. I was doing project management, social media. So there were, there were ways for me to package and repackage that experience without it seeming so random and so unrelated to uh, what I eventually ended up doing, which was working with students. Um, 
But you are right, and especially certain graduate programs are going to want to see more relevant experience. Nellie, I know that you do uh, MBA advising. I do law advising for students that are looking to do law school. And I think the the field of law can be a little more forgiving because you can always spin things. Oh, you did an internship in tech? Well, you want to suddenly do tech law. And so therefore it is now relevant. (laughs) But Nellie, I don't know if you um, have anything to share about that, the relevant versus irrelevant work. So you used a great word that I love, the spin, right? It's all about the spin that you're going to put on your journey and how you got to where you are. So we, we and we can even at IvyWise can help you to craft that spin, that narrative um, and help connect the dots for you. Like I said, as you apply for graduate school, but I think I was actually thinking back to, I had a student that we were talking about and they had, uh, it was her and her parents and they, they had this conversation about, you know, do I go and take my return offer at this bank or do I broaden my experience and go towards consulting? Mind you, these are still very like business related and business focused internships. So my per, my question to them was like, well, what what is the end goal? Or And I think the alternative option was spend a year doing something, spend that third summer doing something else. Um, and I was basically like, what is, what's your end goal here? What are you trying to develop? Are you trying to, can, are you trying to get experience in finance to see if investment banking isn't something you enjoy or if it is something you like, are you going to regret that you never have, that you never took that offer or always wonder what if, right? So I think it really comes back to that own individual perspective and reflection of like, what are you hoping to, to achieve? Don't worry what about admission, what admin, admissions officer is going to want three to five years, you know, down the road, that's irrelevant. We want to figure out what, stay true to yourself and your, your own interests and passions. And then we can deal with the spin and the narrative later on. That's always been my advice. Totally. I mean, that's, that's what we do here at Ivy Wise is we look at what you've done, who you are, and we package you to be the best applicant you can be. And so staying true to yourself is so important. And that's part of that reflection too, because, you know, your internships, your applied experiences, they're going to help guide you to figure out what graduate school is. It's that saying, you know, don't, don't do the backwards thing of going, I want to do this. So I will craft all these things. And maybe that doesn't actually fit for me. You got to, you know, let your interests guide you. And, and there's, there's so many different types of graduate schools out there. So many career paths out there. There is something that is probably the perfect fit for something you think is incredibly niche. Yeah. So I was just going to say too, um, going back to the um, extracurriculars. I don't know. What about you, you ladies? Did you have any particularly meaningful extracurricular involvement that you, you know, helped you along on your career? Well, I ended up studying abroad, which a lot of people don't think of as an extracurricular, but I do. And (laughs) I, I decided to send myself to the most opposite place I could imagine. So I picked Tokyo, Japan, and I'd never left the country. And I had a blast. But what I am able to do when I talk to other people about that experience, uh, especially as a recent undergrad uh, graduate where I had it on my resume, it's obviously no longer on my resume, was I talked about the transferable skills that I gained from that experience. So I learned intercultural communication. I learned how to work with others that had different perspectives, right? And so that's one of the extracurriculars I did that had a profound effect on my life. I mean, I'm now an avid traveler because of that experience. And so I went into it not thinking about grad school or work. I went into it because it was a passion and an interest. And it really changed my life. Sorry. Yeah. 
Um, I was more, I would say, identity-based groups and a lot of sort of um, social justice and social impact groups. So I did a South Asian Women's Alliance. I was in the South Asian um, Cultural Association. I was in the um, LGBTQIA panel group. I did um, a with some work on like labor rights. I did a lot of those kinds of groups. And that I think um, was because I was really gearing up for a career doing nonprofit organizing at the community level. So a lot of my um, student groups and student involvement kind of revolved around being really involved in campus in that kind of way. Yeah, I think both of you brought up two really interesting points that I would just touch upon too. I mean, I can't um, downplay enough the importance of a, a study abroad experience from the intercultural communication, right, to the cross, cross-cultural sensitivities, um, just to your building out your own, you know, experiences that it's such a great, I think, opportunity that all students should take advantage of when they're at the undergrad level. Um, it's, it's really one of your own only opportunities where you can kind of do so in a risk-free environment. So highly encourage that. Um, and then to Indica's point, about that, uh, about her community um, service type um, activities that she was involved in. A lot of programs now are doing um, like a combined uh, community academic course, right? So where you are doing community service, but getting academic credit for it, um, but really making an impact, you know, whether it's on your campus or within a, within the local community of your university or college. Um, and so, you know, kind of getting involved, doing really grassroots types thing um, and, and building up the, those ex- those professional experiences at the same time while getting academic credit and, you know, that community service feeling. So I think those are... Um, really great opportunities to, to, to consider that aren't, or I don't, I don't want to say like not are more non-traditional, but yeah, I think they're like opportunities that not everyone is taking advantage of. And there's also overlap. I mean, I think there's the traditional study abroad programs where you spend a semester studying abroad, which, you know, a lot of students do. But there's also, you know, you can use your summer to do an internship abroad. Um, I did research in Sri Lanka. I'm Sri Lankan and I did my um, honors thesis uh, based there. So I did two years worth of research in Sri Lanka during the summer. You can do service-based projects abroad, whether that's um, a like a spring break trip or a longer summer project. So I think there's lots of ways in which, you know, study abroad can be an academic experience an an immersive international experience can also be about an internship. It can be about a service oriented project. It can be about academic research. So there's lots of ways to combine these different themes and these different kind of, you know, academic pursuits into, you know, with each other. So that's also an option. Yeah, I agree. I was actually, so you brought up an interesting point. How did you get that uh, research experience in Sri Lanka? Did you use like the school's network or was that your own personal network? I mean, I was doing research for my honors thesis. I am Sri Lankan. I'm from Sri Lanka originally, so I have um, a big network there. But you can apply for research grants to fund your research in, um, if you're doing, for example, academic research, you can get grants to do that through your department, through the you know, university undergraduate research symposium, things like that. So you can fund those things. And then it's kind of up to you to build your networks. You can do that, you know, as we were talking about network building, if your professors know people, if you know students who know people. Um, so there's lots of ways to do that. I did it personally. That's where I'm from. Um, that's where I wanted to do research for my 
you know, from my anthropology major, but I knew a lot of people who used faculty connections, student connections, and who, who, who got everything paid for by the university. So um, that's very possible too. Yeah, I thought you might reference uh, LinkedIn in that conversation. So I was going to say another. <laughs> well, it wasn't there when I was around. I don't think I was using LinkedIn back in the day. But I was going to say, I think that's another out. great resource that, um, you know, that this younger uh, generation of students um, is just now starting to get into, but really the importance of having a LinkedIn profile, um, mm-hmm. not only for graduate school, I think it's becoming increasingly important for graduate school, but if you're talking about building your professional network and kind of en- thinking about entering the workforce, right, starting to build out a profile and um, on LinkedIn and even if it's little in the beginning, right? But like, you know, notating where you are in terms of your schools, right? Because that can instantly connect you to alumni, um, you know, across the globe. So uh, whether that's, you know, I think just helping you to define what is your, you know, what's your short summary? Um, you know, what are the, the clubs and the activities that you've been involved in and starting to see on paper? Um, well, this this is one virtual option, which and then we can kind of talk about the, the paper version. <laughs> um, but, you know, what that looks like uh, so that you can start to see um, and what what those points are across your your trajectory um, and, you know, helps to kind of map out and, and or if you're having a hard time identifying what those skills are, the things that you like, perhaps your previous experiences can help guide you um, to figure that out. Absolutely. I tell my advisees here at Ivy Wise all the time that your transcript and your resume slash your LinkedIn tell a story to employers, to graduate schools. So being strategic about building your brand and deciding what your story is going to be is just so important. And you can start that early as a freshman year and then just continually read and revise and make sure that you're working with your network and your trusted advisors to be strategic as you build that brand. And I think it's it's so important freshman year because, you know, landing that first internship is something that is, you know, it's I don't want to say it's a hurdle, but it, it, it people don't always know where to start that search. They don't know what to look for. They don't know what's available in their field. And if you connect with, you know, upperclassmen again on LinkedIn, older, you know, juniors and seniors who've already done internships, it's a really great source of intel to see what did somebody do their freshman year? Is this something that I can also apply for? How did they build their resume? So it's, it's a great way to know how people in your discipline have distinguished themselves over the years. And so when I'm advising, you know, freshmen who are, who are like, where do I start the search? LinkedIn is often one of the first things I tell them to, to, you know, go on there, make sure your profile is up to date and then start looking to see what people in your major have done in the past. Yeah. So actually this is something me and my, one of my clients were talking about. So she was, she was applying to like architecture programs. And so the question came up of like, well, where do most of, you know, XYZ school who are interested in architecture programs, where did they end up getting admitted? Where did they pursue a graduate degree in architecture? Right. This is a very niche <laughs> like question that I would say a lot of career center offices probably don't necessarily even know that like detailed of an answer, but we were able to do just a quick search on LinkedIn, right? Filtering based on the school and based on who had identified of having a master's of architecture. We quickly were able to come up with like a hundred people and figure out what school, what graduate school was listed. So 
it gave us a good sense. Again, it's not the whole population, right, of, of everyone that potentially had graduated from that university and went on to get a master's in architecture, but it gave us a sample size to work with, right, and trying to figure out, okay, these three schools seems to be a feeder from this university. University, uh, to this graduate program. So, and why, and then, and then we could start to think about, well, why is that? And, you know, what, what are the skills that this particular university is building to um, be able to, you know, be successful in this particular graduate program? So you can start to be able to use data to help inform your decisions in terms of what's going to be a good graduate school fit for you, where you more, where you might be more likely to get in, right? Where, where are people recruiting from? Um, so it, it, it does provide those analytics for you to be able to make some, some quick, quick assumptions. Absolutely. I've done that also with the work experience questions, because a lot of schools will say, oh, you know, we, we don't require work experience, but they might, you know, really, really strongly prefer it. So I'll do a look, you know, I'll look up people in that school and say, these are the kinds of work experiences they had prior to becoming a graduate student at this school. So it, it, it gives you so much good information that, you know, university websites, graduate school websites don't always give you. Yeah, I mean, this is also just on top of the standard class profiles, at least the business school. Generally speaking, every business school is going to post their class profile, right, of their most recent class, the average age, right, their average, um, you know, standardized test score, average GPAs, um, how many students they've admitted, the gender, um, you know, international representation. So that is also just a good starting point to help you get a grasp on kind of what that profile is and then help kind of looking at their their profile of their most most recent admitted class and what your background is and helping determine if that's going to be a good fit for you or not. Yeah, it's it's a little different in the public policy, international relations, international affairs kind of space, because there are people who come in directly from undergraduate and people who come in that average can be a little deceptive. If it's if it says that the average is like 24, 25, it can include a good number of people directly from undergraduate. And if so, um, as, you know, especially if you're coming out directly from undergraduate and applying to graduate school, it's good to know, you know, what are the kinds of experiences that really help you be a strong applicant when you're competing with people who have three, four years of work experience? Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point in terms of timeline, right? When you're thinking about graduate schools is that I know from my experience working with business school applicants, traditionally, you're not applying to business schools unless you have about, you know, a minimum of two to three years of work experience um, after your undergrad experience, right? So that's a little bit different. Um, and, and you need to be thinking about that in terms of that Right. When we're talking about how can college students start to prepare for entering the workforce. Right. I mean, you need to be thinking about getting a real full time job and getting that work experience under your belt before even applying to grad school. I know, Kendra, what are you what are some of the trends that you're seeing in law school? Are, are more students applying directly from under school undergrad or are they starting to do more work experience before they apply? It's a mixed bag. I would say we definitely have clients and thousands of students every year will go to law school directly after undergrad. But if you are someone that didn't necessarily do as many internships or you're really aiming for the top 10 law schools, um, you, it may be in your best interest to take a, a year or two to work and really build up that resume. Uh, the resume is quite important in the law school admissions process. Not as important as your uh, LSAT and your GPA but probably the third most important thing. 
So that's pretty different. I, I would say from, you know, the types of programs and, and, and majors and that I work with, I almost exclusively work with people who are applying directly from undergraduate to college. And that's in fields like public policy, international affairs, data analytics, um, some STEM fields like, you know, engineering. So it's a, or so it, 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 yeah, it, it's been for me kind of the opposite where I'm, I'm, I mostly work with people who are in their senior year of college and applying to graduate school. Yeah, so, I mean, I think this goes back to what we were saying about the different career paths, right? And kind of the reflection that needs to go into it because each one is a little bit nuanced, right? In terms of what you're going to need to require um, academically, um, you know, in terms of internships, et cetera. And so, and even that timeline of, of how far you're looking out of, of getting that professional work experience prior to applying to graduate school. So the more that you can start to learn about those pathways, I think is going to just help you to understand, you know, what track you're, you're, you intend to get on. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, that Ivy Wise has academic advising services and it's admissions counselors that have been former academic advisors helping students who have aspirations to go to graduate school really start early and look forward and learn the paths and learn the strategies and bounce ideas off of one another, whether it's which internship should I do, what courses should I take? And so this is a process that Ivy Wise can help students with. And of course, the advisors available to students on colleges uh, campuses as well. And getting a little bit into, I guess, you know, whether you know whether you're applying to graduate school directly out of college, whether you're applying for jobs, um, what is that going to look like? You know, starting say your junior year. You know, there's a lot of we've talked about all the all the many tests that you have to take, or you you might need to take if you're interested in graduate school. How does you know how do these two paths start diverging? Say in your junior year, what is your schedule looking like your junior and senior year if you're pursuing one or the other? Well, I would say it truly depends, as we just said, on what you're pursuing. Um, if you're pursuing an MBA down the road, your focus is probably going to be entirely on the professional and making sure that you take the right academic courses so that you're prepared. Um, but if you're in one of these other graduate programs where it's common and or expected to go directly out of undergrad, then your junior year, you're really starting to develop a testing timeline and a study plan to take those admissions tests, whatever they may be. Again, it really depends on the program. And then by senior year, by fall of senior year, hopefully you've scored the test uh, result that you need, the score that will keep you a competitive applicant. And by fall of senior year, you're starting to fill out those applications. And so, again, it just really depends, though, on the program that you're pursuing if you are graduate school bound. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo what Kendra is saying here. Um, I think it really depends on your program. But um, and if you're thinking about professional uh, going to business school and kind of getting that professional work experience. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, you're going to career fairs, you're going to, um, you know, meeting with potential employers, you're getting your resume, you know, um, you know, in, in top, <laughs> top shape, right. And making sure that it's, you know, quantitatively focused, that it's action oriented, right. That demonstrates your, the impacts that you've had at all of your previous 
clubs, extracurriculars, leaderships, um, awards, honors, and, and professional development on there um, and the projects that you've overseen. I think that you're looking to continue to explore. Um, I know a lot of universities are using Handshake now, right? So mm-hmm. checking Handshake and making sure that you're up to date on what postings are out there. I think um you know, identifying companies that you are find interesting, um, looking at those job postings, going through the job posting, um, pulling out skills or um, as a part of the responsibilities that job has and figuring out how you have, if you have those skills and making that connection right in a cover letter, drafting those cover letters. I mean, there's so many things that can go into that job search process that can take time. Um, we talked a little bit about making those um, alumni connections, right? I think don't underestimate the value of, you know, I work at Penn at, at, at the at upenn.edu or whatever your university is email address, right? Using that to do a cold email to an alum, I think they're always receptive to hearing from students and wanting to give back to their, you know, to their alma mater. So I would say start sending out those emails, right? I, I It's not saying, hey, do you have a job for me, right? I think it's being strategic of I'm looking to, you know, what we used to call them coffee chats. I'd like to have a coffee chat, right. learn more about this particular industry, Um <clears throat> So that you can start to, yeah, just explore and learn more about um, different jobs, different companies, different responsibilities. You know, what is a, um, what, what does an entry job look like in your uh, discipline or, I'm sorry, in the kind of corporate world or, uh, you know, professional path that you're looking to go into. So just kind of getting all of that knowledge. Um, And then I also think talking to faculty, faculty also have, not only are they going to provide a strong recommendation, but they also have connections in the working world, right? Research and, and kind of real world application go hand in hand at universities. And so, you know, don't be shy to talk to your faculty about potential career paths too, right? They, and perhaps they maybe um, have a different idea of what is, you know, what could be a good engineering path and what you were thinking. So I think that, um, you know, get out there talking and networking and meeting people is is going to be what is going to help you to get to, to, to land that ultimate first job. And that's that culmination of what we were talking about at the very beginning, right? You get to college and you start building that network. You start building your community. You start building the contacts that are going to be really important for you down the line. Senior year, you're you're emailing those contacts. You're getting in touch with them. You're 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 really kind of leveraging all these great resources you've pulled over the years. And so, um, you know, that's that's really where it leads. Yeah, I think that about wraps us up. What do you guys think? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't mean for it to be such a (laughs) neat little bow on that. I, I, I mean, I think uh, I thought I thought you did a nice job. I do think that, you know, the network, um, the and the career, the the academics, right, the extracurriculars, all of that, you summed it up nicely. I just botched it at the end for you. <laughs> Not at all. No, I think I think that's um, that's probably one of the most important takeaways. So it's good to end on that one. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed chatting with you ladies this afternoon. We'll have to do it again soon. (laughs) Yes. 
So thank you so much for joining us. That wraps up this episode of the Just Admit It podcast. It's going to take a short recess for the winter break, but we look forward to bringing you to semester six in the new year. In the meantime, catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more resources on the higher ed landscape. We wish everyone a safe, enjoyable, and relaxing break. Thanks, everyone.